Free stuff is awesome, but free stuff to spice up the bedroom is even better. Whether you're buying a gift for your sugar baby or just for yourself, you can get 50% off at adamandeve.com when you enter the code CANDY at checkout. And that's not all. Adam and Eve will include 10 tantalizing free gifts, a sexy item for him, a special gift for her, and a third item all partners can enjoy. Plus, you'll receive six free spicy movies. But the best part is the free shipping. You can get all of this at adamandeve.com using code CANDY at checkout. That's C-A-N-D-Y. So Shelby, what are you getting me? Candy Girl Podcast. Fuck me, Daddy. <laughs> hey, all you candy sluts and bubble butts. Welcome back to another episode of Candy Girl. I'm one of your hosts, Emily. And I'm Shelby. And today we're here with Alexis Femme. Alexis, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Hey, y'all. My name is Alexis Femme. I accept all pronouns at the moment. I am a sex worker and online sex worker and erotic laborer. I'm currently wearing cat ears and some kind of animal print earrings if that gives you any like sense of the mood that I'm in. And I'm really excited to be here. Very excited to be here. We're excited to have you. I So I followed Alexis a little bit ago. Cactus Cutie, who used to be on the show, had shared a post of yours. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. So we followed her on Candy Girl. And then you had posted something about growing as a sex worker and, and finding vulnerability. And I was like, this would make such an interesting episode. So I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. I want to talk about how you grow as a sex worker, and also how vulnerability helps you in your job. Definitely. By the way, that's how I found y'all's podcast was Cactus Cutie. I love her. I was like, oh, let me listen to their episode. And it was, oh my God, so much fun. Oh my God, isn't she the best? (laughs) I'm still obsessed with her. The very best. Yeah, so, so tell us about your journey in sex work. Sure, sure. I guess I would call my start in sex work sometime last year in 2019. I did a few different nights of go-go dancing at a queer party, and that was not my scene. Um, I have so much respect for workers who do that type of labor in the industry, but I was like, I can't stay up till 3 a.m. all the time. I don't have energy for this. Just the the live performance and the performance in front of so many people that was just not for me, but it definitely gave me a thrill, like an exhilarating rush of adrenaline. And there's something about getting money directly as you're doing work. It is not like when you work any other job and you wait for a paycheck two weeks later, a week later, whatever it is, like you are getting paid directly as you do this service, which was something that I had never experienced before. And it, changed my mindset about worth, about value, about money. And I thought, oh, I definitely have to explore this more. But let me find a way that is safe for me, a way that feels comfortable for me in a way that I feel like I can be my sexiest self, best self, all of that, which is which kind of led me to online work because I figured I could create my own schedule. I could do the types of videos that I wanted to from the comfort of my own home. It just seemed like a different community that I wanted to be a part of, which is beautiful. So I started that early in 2020 this year, and it has been such a learning experience every day. Every day I learn a thing that I did not think I would learn. Like the expectations are out the window because there's no telling who you're going to speak to, what you're going to be asked to do, who you're going to meet in terms of other sex workers, like there's just no telling what the online world is going to give you, especially because it is so rapidly changing and ever changing that if you're not flexible with it, then you probably won't make it in this type of work. Yeah, that's definitely something we've learned through doing the podcast too, is it's, you have to be up to date with trends. It's just like being in sales, like it's a lot of work to be an online sex worker. For sure. Bro, it's like being in sales, marketing, production. Yeah. Take it off. Name them all. Yes. All of that. So I want to talk about in your post, you said that you had to learn how to be vulnerable when you were becoming a sex worker. How does that help you as a sex worker? 
Yeah. I kind of pride myself on working on vulnerability always. And in my non-sex work life, that's something that I talk about constantly. And it's work that I do personally and with other people and in the several different jobs that I'm in. But sex work was a different type of vulnerability. It was not what I expected. What I expected was just, oh, it's vulnerable to show my naked body or it's vulnerable to show nudity or my orgasm face. Like those were things that I thought were going to be ways that I hadn't been vulnerable with other people before, but instead it was just a whole other like realm of vulnerability about, do you know how to set boundaries? First of all, what are your boundaries? Do you know them? Then how do you set them? How do you speak up for yourself? How do you deal with people who don't respect you, but they're paying you and they're expecting a type of service or conversation or something from you? It just, it, I don't know. Sex work is vulnerability in a way that I don't think people who are outside of it understand. They think of it as I probably did in a really surface level way of like vulnerability of showing my skin or showing myself, whatever self you want to portray, whatever character you're performing. But instead it's, it's a lot more internal work. It is how do I keep up with this demand to be a sexual being often, sometimes every day, if you're posting every day on your uh, social media or your subscription platforms, yet also take care of myself, yet also be a sexual being outside of online as well. It, it just, it brought a lot out of me that I wasn't prepared for and definitely had to take some steps back and learn how to do. So the vulnerability piece is how do I be authentic? Because if you don't like what you're doing in online work, it shows. I don't care who you want to be. You can be anyone. And there is a niche for every fucking thing. But if you don't like what you're doing, it, it will show and people won't be attracted to that. If you look like you're having the best time or you're really enjoying yourself or you're really feeling yourself, people will come for that. They stay for your personality. They stay for your joy, for your sexual experience, not even so much theirs, but if you love what you're doing, if you're having a good time, then they want to be there. So I had to figure out how do I be vulnerable and give these people what they want and what I want while staying safe and while staying honest about how to take care of myself too in this process. It's it's a lot. It's been a lot of like internal dialogue with myself figuring out how to be in this industry, just how to be so I don't burn out because I definitely want to be here for a while. There are some people who don't understand how people who do sex work can sell sex and sell their bodies and that still be considered like, I guess, feminist in a way. Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. I definitely do. One thing that I try to be really careful about, which doesn't mean it doesn't mean that I don't slip up myself, but one thing I try to be careful about is language. So when people ask me questions like, how could you sell your body? Or they make comments about me selling my body. I say, well, I don't sell my body because at the end of every day, who owns my body? Me. Like, I don't care how you could pay me a million dollars for whatever you want. And you still don't own me. Like I am selling you a conversation. I'm selling you a video. I'm selling you a picture. I'm selling you sex. Let's say if I was an in-person sex worker, but I'm never selling my body ever. Even if I like, even if I really wanted to, I cannot give you what this thing is like this piece of flesh. That's mine. Like can't take that shit from me, no matter how hard you try. So there's, there's that first of all, but how is it feminist? I mean, I think it's the most <laughs> feminist thing there is to be quite honest. It is the oldest profession in the whole world. And it will be the last profession when the world is burning to the ground, which it feels like it is right now. But if it, the whole world was literally on fire and everyone's like, damn, we about to all die. We about to go out. Everyone would be like, well, let's fuck like one last time. Like, let's do something one last time. It is the oldest profession and it will be the last profession. There's nothing, in my opinion, anti-feminist or inherently unfeminist about doing sex work, being in sex work, selling sexual services of any nature. The erotic is in all of us, and that's not to say that we all enjoy sex. That's not to say that we all like the same things or want the same things or are attracted to the same people, but 
being sexual is something that is available to all of us. And if you want to make a profit off of that, that is no different in my opinion than making a profit off of like, wow, I'm really good at cooking, I don't know, lasagna. So like, I'm gonna open up this restaurant and sell this lasagna because that's what I'm damn good at. And that's what I fucking enjoy. That's the same as me being like, oh my God, you know what's so delicious? my pussy. So I'm going to sell you images of this pussy and I will take it on a Polaroid and sign it for you and send it to you if you really want to for an extra charge. And that is the same as you selling lasagna. Like you be a bad bitch and sell your pasta and I'm going to be a bad bitch and sell whatever it is I choose to sell that day. I think it is anti-feminist in my opinion if you don't support people choosing Make, making a decision or being in economic predicaments that force them to choose this line of work and make money that way. I mean, no one has to be a sex worker. No one. Like that's, if, you, if you're like, you know what? I just don't really like porn. I don't really agree with porn. That's dope. Like you can just avoid porn and you can also avoid speaking about people who do porn. Otherwise be like, you know what? But you go do that over there because that is what I want. That is the most feminist thing in my opinion. And what I've learned is that this is, I think I said this the other day on my like personal Instagram is that I could show you the entire like inside of my vagina and you still don't know who I am. Like that doesn't tell you anything about me. Like people really believe that sex workers just like, oh, they have no respect. Or, like how could they show themselves like that? And that's what I've learned about vulnerability. Like speaking to your question from earlier is that there's different types of vulnerability. So I can show you like my different parts of my body, but you don't know who I am. You don't know what I believe. You don't know what I'm really like, like in my everyday life in my home. It's, there's just so many ways to be. And sex work has shown me the feminist way of being, which is just, you know, find, find your thing and support and respect other people and how they choose to show up and especially make money, especially for people who are, who have marginalized identities and lived in marginalized bodies. Like, fuck you. You can't say anything to me. Yes. Speaking of respectability and boundaries, sex work is kind of on this line of, you're selling a fantasy and sometimes you become a character, an object in that fantasy. So how do you establish boundaries with your clients and maintain a good relationship with them? Uh, sometimes you can't control if you have a good relationship with them. You can do your best to be really kind if that's, well, unless that's not the type of sex work that you are, right? Unless you're trying to be like degrading, but you can be really whatever it is that the client is asking for and you can't really control how they respond to you or if they want more from you or if they want something different from you that you're not willing to offer. And I think I probably, I'm assuming like a lot of other sex workers when they start was very set on pleasing the people who were paying my rent. And then I realized, first of all, that's, that's always going to make me bound to other people, which is not sustainable and not smart. And I stopped trying to please clients because I have to set the tone. Like when you come to my page, here's the rules you're going to read. Here's the intro message that you received from me and we'll go from there. But if you stray from what I've already set up on this page, then you can leave. There will always be more people. And I know that's speaking from a very privileged place, but I do agree that for everyone, there will always be more clients. There will always be more fans, more customers. And I think if you keep yourself bound to what other people want from you, especially if you have a clientele of cis men, like that's going to send you down the wrong path. Like you, that's going to end up making you unhappy. Your boundaries are for you and your safety. And although that's going to upset people sometimes, I mean, I've been asked to do a lot of different things and some of them I try and I actually end up loving some of them I try and end up hating and refuse to do again. And other things, I'm like, you know, I don't even want to try that. And they'll be like, oh, well, I'll double what you asked for. That's not going to make me do what I just said I wasn't going to do anymore. You didn't hear me the first time. But I think that comes from years of practicing saying what I want, which is not always easy. 
And that comes from speaking to other sex workers in the industry who are just some of the, not all, but some of them are so gracious and so kind. And then that also just comes from like my own spiritual beliefs and like keeps me grounded in like, no, nah, you have boundaries and you, you have to respect them because if you don't respect them, why the fuck would other people respect them? Like you have to, you have to show them how to treat you. I feel like that took me many years of therapy to learn, but the boundaries conversation was definitely the number one thing that I've gotten out of therapy, out of life. I used to be afraid to say no to anything. Yeah. Yes. So I found it really hard to set boundaries. But once you once you're there, life is easy, breezy, beautiful, kind of. So I kind of want to pivot and talk about erotica if you're down. I feel like a lot of women especially will be all like, porn is disgusting. I don't know how anyone could watch it. I would never watch porn, which cool. Congratulations, I guess. But then Fifty Shades of Grey comes out and it's like, oh, this is here to spice up my marriage. This is better in some way. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm so glad that you brought that up, especially Fifty Shades. That, that was labeled as like, you know, the middle of America, white suburban, like dream come true of everyone's like, oh my God, now we can have book club. Now we can have the dirty book club, the fun book club. And this is a series that we, I don't know. I, I mean, I think that that series was accepted because of who was in it. I mean, it was too white, heterosexual, femme, able-bodied people who were conventionally attractive for like the Western standard. And everyone's like, you know what? We can subscribe to that. Like that we understand that we can see ourselves in. So let's see how they get dirty. And then we won't push past that. Like this is, this is now setting up what is acceptable for, for things to happen, quote, in the bedroom or like behind closed doors. I think erotica is, first of all, I think erotica is beautiful. I love to read it and I love to write it. And I think that it's an entry point for some people into the world of the erotic, potentially porn, because you don't have to look at anything yet. Um, I think it's, it's obvious when you're watching porn that this is sex, like sex is happening in front of my eyes. Um, or if you were to go to the strip club, like this ass is shaking in my face, like it's happening right in front of me. But when you're reading things, I think it feels a little safer for people because you don't have to look at anyone doing this act, whatever it is. You probably really don't even think about the person who took the time to write the piece. Uh, you just get to come up with your own fantasy world in your head, which is safe for a lot of people and is not as shameful for a lot of people. So I fully support that. And I understand that. I really do. But I want to push people to go beyond erotica if they want to, that this respectable form of erotic is not it. And it doesn't mean that you are any less respectable if you choose to go beyond that and watch people have sex or ask people to do a live session with you if you're working with a sex worker, whatever that may be. Fifty Shades and Erotica is not the end-all be-all, and it's wonderful if that's what works for you, if that's what gets you off, if you enjoy reading that, but I don't think that it makes you any better or any less of a dirty person than the people who choose to watch what they want to see, or if they don't want to visualize on their own, they just want to see a scene. I think people have a big problem with porn, and I think people have a big problem with paying for porn and paying sex workers because it requires intimacy. It requires vulnerability. It does not matter if you are watching something live or if you personally know the person who's making the video, but you have to engage in a relationship with them if you're watching them do this really intimate thing. And I think the definition of relationship tends to be really limited and narrow. Relationship is just people you know, people that I see on the day-to-day, -day, people at work or my best friend or a family member or a partner. But relationship means anyone that you have a relation with, which means if you've watched a video on Pornhub, you had a relationship even for those seven minutes with those porn stars, with those sex workers, with those whatever they would want to be called. And I think people don't want to admit that they 
are being vulnerable in that moment. Like you are watching someone naked. You're watching someone put things in parts of their bodies and you may be naked and putting things in your body as you're watching this. Like that's an intimate act between you and this person. Even if the sex worker never knows who you are and never knows that you watched what they watched. I just don't think people are comfortable with intimacy period, like outside of sex. So that definitely does not translate to sex. So I think erotica is a safe zone for them and going beyond that brings up things that people aren't ready for people just come to sex and say like I, j- I just want sex and I just want fun but there's always something more attached to sex and that's a responsibility that I think needs to be honored but people aren't really ready for most of the time yeah I've heard some people be upset about the objectification of woman in me trying to explain that most of the time people aren't seeking out an object per se, but some sort of emotional connection. So you kind of mentioned a little bit at the beginning. Could we talk about your erotica? Yeah. Yeah, sure. What's kind of the process for writing it? That's real. That I've been doing for a long time and not anything that I've ever shown anyone until recently besides intimate partners but erotic is dope god erotic is so dope i don't know it allows you if you're writing about yourself or putting yourself into a character it allows you to see yourself outside of your day-to-day so maybe there's something that you've always wanted to do but haven't found the space to yet or don't feel comfortable actually doing with someone then write about it if you're a writer or for someone who is cool like exploring that medium it is so freeing and just exciting to put yourself on a piece of paper or in a document and write these things that you want to do or things that you don't think you want to do but you're like it it can exist on this piece of paper it doesn't have to exist in my real life so maybe I would never do x y and z but this character is going to do that thing so let me write about it and I think that it's 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 being sexual in a way that is often I don't know, it's not seen as as fun to write about sex than to have sex or watch sex, but that's also a place just for you to get in touch with yourself in a different way. Like, how would you write about touching yourself? Like, some people just do that act, but if you have to write about it, I mean, you really have to think, like, what what senses are happening? What am I smelling when I do that? What do I see when I do that? What does it feel like? I have to use really descriptive words to talk about what this part of my body feels like or what my head feels like when I touch this part of my body. I mean, it's it's wild. I think writing is fucking wild. And I've been writing erotica, I don't know, for a few years. I, I couldn't really put a timestamp on it, but a few years. And I would just, it started just by sexting. I really enjoy sexting. I love it so much because I think sometimes I'm better at communicating through writing than speaking especially about certain sex things that maybe I haven't done yet or I'm like testing out with someone it's a safer place for me to just write it out and see what happens see how they react see how I react so I would always text people but they would never be short like I would always try to just be that person who like sends two lines they send two lines I send two lines and we keep going but I just can't like I'm not that bitch and I would send paragraphs after paragraph, after paragraph, which was welcome, like they enjoyed it. And then one day I was like, wait a minute, what I just wrote was a scene. Like, let me take that outside of the text message and put it into some notes and just make it more thorough or develop some different character names or add a setting or whatever it is. And that that just triggered something in me. I was like, oh, I love writing about sex. I love writing and I love sex. So let's put them together. And I didn't actually publish any erotica like through OnlyFans or through any online work until I think it was this month, earlier this month, or maybe it was last month was the first time that I put erotica online for my fans, which is cool. I didn't know how they would receive it because interesting, like you said, you were like, yeah, you know, women in erotica and Fifty Shades of Grey, like people love to read that stuff. And my clientele is unfortunately 95% cis men. And I did not know what their relationship was to erotica. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to just stick to visual things because they seem to enjoy visual stimulation. 
So I actually read my erotica. So you could hear my words, you could see what I was doing, but you knew that I wrote this on a piece of paper. And that was cool, but I was like, fuck it, I'm gonna just start putting my words out. Like somebody will like it, or if I start advertising outside of OnlyFans that I'm writing erotica, maybe that will bring like a different audience to my page. But I think erotica is so... Is this a word? Explorative? Is that a word? If it's not a word, I think people get what I'm trying to say. Well, congrats on publishing Erotica for the first time. That's so exciting. Do you feel like that people sometimes prefer Erotica to porn because it's easier for them to project themselves onto a fictional character than a real person? Fully. Yeah. I definitely think so. And I think that Unless there are really specific indicators of what a person looks like in the erotica, like if, if the writer or the author is describing hair texture or color or whatever, a lot of the erotica that I've read, just like a generic search online, doesn't have too many of those descriptions. So you definitely can place yourself in them. I think when, I think especially when you read authors that are of different backgrounds they tend to they tend to give more descriptive words if, especially if like they're a part of marginalized communities because the the standard for most people even if you're not a white person when you're reading something is to automatically think of a white person unless there is a description otherwise because it is an unfortunate um calculated thing that we all like uh, that is the uh standard the assumption and then it, when you when something is stated otherwise then you know that it is this other thing so i try to read things from marginalized perspectives because i want to see them and myself in writing but yeah i think for the most part if you're reading some pretty generic descriptions of people you can probably place yourself in anything even if this thing says oh redhead but you're not a redhead you have brown hair I mean you could just skip over that and definitely think about yourself in that scene if you want to be doing that thing or if you want that act done to you I think that's you're probably right that's what people enjoy most about reading versus watching what a beautiful way to put it so I kind of want to talk about vulnerability a little more so I understand that you are a tall hairy witch um, <laughs> thank you thank you. I actually because of cactus cutie like immediately after the interview with cactus cutie sure. grew out my own body hair for a while and really yeah I felt extremely vulnerable there were times where I got self-conscious um I am half Hispanic my partner is Chinese and I ended up in like the month that I grew out my armpit hair I had more <laughs> hair than him and like I'm, I'm not gonna lie I felt like pretty insecure so how yeah did you like did you have to learn how to love your own body hair what was that process like yeah definitely thanks for bringing that up um sometimes I forget to bring it up because it's it's been so many years since I since I started growing it out and like stop shaving that I forget that it is a thing on my body that is not always present on other people's bodies. But that was, that was maybe like 2015 or so 2015, 2016. Yeah. I'd say so. Then one day, I, I don't know. I was just like, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. I don't enjoy it. It takes a lot of time. It's, money that I don't need to spend even if it's just a small amount it's money I don't need to spend and I just I'm always curious what is, what does it look like like what is mine gonna look like is it gonna be the exact same texture as what's on my head like how long can it get like let's push these limits and my partner at the time was super supportive super cool which was helpful because I know that that's not everyone's experience but I had a lot of pushback from family members. Oh my God, people were upset. People were so upset and so offended by something that was literally not happening to them. But people do tend to think that your body is happening to them. Um, and specifically, my parents were really upset about it, which upset me. Parents tend to have this weird 
ownership sometimes over their children. Like they, like they made you, they created you and produced you. So then they want to then see you in a certain light, which I'm not a parent myself. So I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to judge that because I don't really understand what it's like Mm -hmm. to be them. But as the child, as you know, the grown child, I was like, yeah, we're not, what we're not about to do is listen to your comments about my hair. And one day I was, I don't know what I was, I think I was taking selfies. I was taking selfies. And my dad comes into the room and just stops. Cause I don't think he had seen my armpit hair at the time. And it was like, I mean, at its peak length. And he was, oh, the look on his face. I, I wish, I wish I could recreate the look on his face. I was like, okay. So I internally like geared up, put on my suit, Oof. put on my armor. I was ready to be like, here we go. We, we about to fight for real. And he didn't say anything at first. He just sat on a different couch and I just continued doing what I was doing. And at some point he just, I think he just got so enraged on the inside that it just exploded out of him. He was like, so do you just not shave anymore? And I was like, oh, okay. Way to be bold. Way to be blunt. Yeah. Let's talk about it. No, I don't shave anymore. And I, I was, cause that's, I didn't, if I don't explain, maybe he won't ask any further questions, but he did. He was like, well, don't you think that's unsanitary? And I said, do you have hair under your armpits? And he didn't say anything. I was like, so if you have hair there, what is the issue with me having hair there? Well, I mean, you could at least trim it a little is what he said. I was like, well, cause he was like, well, I trim mine. Like I trim mine. Like you could at least trim yours a little. I was like, well, first of all, sometimes I do trim it. Um, It gets hot in the summer. Sometimes I trim it. But if I didn't, that would also be okay. What is the difference between me having hair here and you having hair here? It grows out of my body. I didn't ask for it. I don't really know what the purpose is besides keeping me warm in certain temperatures and climates. Like, you know, we both got body hair. And he was like, well, I just... I just don't understand it. I was like, well, you don't have to understand it. Like, it's not for you. It's not to be understood. I've never had to sit here and understand your body hair. So I don't even know. Like, we, I could sit here and explain myself, or I could sit here and have this whole conversation with you, but I'm not trying to make you feel better about my choice. Like, that's a choice, and there's nothing wrong with shaving it. I, I don't shame people who shave or who trim or who do waxing or whatever it is, but no one's ever had to argue or justify or stand up for the hair growing out of your body. So I think it's a little insulting that I have to do that. He was like, well, do you, do you honestly think people will like that? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't really care. And if they don't like it, then it's probably someone that I shouldn't have around anyway. And I remember my mom made a comment. Oh my God, was that this, that was this year. That was this year which she's seen my body hair in all of its light at this point, And she hates it. She thinks it's very unfeminine and just very, I don't know, gross in her opinion. But she saw my feet. <laughs> I, was, I was visiting them and she saw my feet and I had hair on my toes like a lot of people do. And I, I think I asked her to like paint my toes. And she said, well, you're going to have to take care of that first. I was like, lady, are you not going to paint my toes for me? Like you've been doing my whole life because I have hair on my toes. She was like, you know, can we just not get into this? Like, can we not do this right now? Can we not? I'm like, I, I didn't say a thing. You brought this conversation up. Never mind. You don't have, I will. Can I go in your room, get this nail polish? I will do it myself. Like, I don't need you to do it. I just thought we could have a little bonding moment, but you have a problem with how my feet look. And she was like, well, it would just look so much better if you just like took care of just like a little of it. I was like, you know, I don't really, I'm just not here to make you feel comfortable though. I'm not like, I'm here to make me feel comfortable and whatever you feel about it, like you're going to have to deal with that on your own. But man, those comments come five years ago and to this day. And it's, it's something that I don't think about, like I said anymore, but other people are obviously still thinking about it, which is wild. Oh, I remember when I grew up my armpit hair and I would FaceTime my dad and I was wearing a tank top. I would like put the camera directly below my armpit hair and he was like, ew, baby, don't show me that. That's so gross. Like, I'm your dad. I don't need to see that as if my armpit were some like, I don't know. 
he he really did not like it. And then my stepmom loved it. She thought it was hilarious. She would be laughing in the background. She's like, you have body hair. She's like, I don't shave sometimes. Yeah. I love that you put the camera directly there. You weren't even like, oh, I'm just doing something in my arm goes up. You're like, look at this thing. I remember even when I was growing up, my under, like, there were just so many small questions that I never thought I'd have beforehand. Like I remember meshing cactus cutie. What kind of deodorant do you use? Cause I didn't yeah. like the way that like, I have very dark hair when I would use a white stick of deodorant, yeah. it would make that hair white. I didn't like it, but I also didn't like the aerosol sprays cause it felt like it got everywhere. So I was like, what do I do? Right. Yeah. You got to think about deodorant differently. So, I mean, it, I guess it may affect some people and like what they wear, like if it, I don't know, just certain outfits, you've never like thought about this thing before because it's always been bare. And so some people want it to show, some people don't, some people like don't like how their hair rubs up against certain things. Yeah, I guess there's, you know, things to think about that you don't have to think about before if you're part of the shape club. I got not like significant amount of extra attention, but like a weird amount of extra attention. Like I would go on runs. I would just be in a sports bra. And I remember one time there was this very drunk woman at a bar I ran by who was like, yes, you go girl. You're so brave. I could never. And I'm like, actually your body can. Yes. Did you know? Did you know? I love the comments of I could never. That's That comes up so often about so many things. Any Just a lot of things that I've done in life, people, it, it gets a reaction out of people. And then the comment is followed, I could never. And I always respond, I didn't ask you to. <laughs> First of all, I wasn't doing whatever we're speaking about for attention or for you. It, it's, it's fine that we're talking about it. But like, I didn't ask you to do it. When people talk about, oh, oh, you do sex work? I could never. Or like you post pictures, I could never. I didn't ask you to. Like, that's weird that you automatically like projected yourself into my situation. Like, we, I, I thought we were talking about me. Like you made a comment about me. I welcomed it. And then you were like, oh, I couldn't do that though. Or I, I, I could never blah, blah, blah. Or I wonder if I, and I'm like, we, we, I don't know. We weren't really talking about you. So maybe you're actually a lot more intrigued about this thing that I'm doing than you think. Maybe it's not so much about me, but it's that, that person who said that who said the comment to you was probably like, wow, I wonder, you know, could I run with a sports bra if I didn't, you know, if I had underarm hair? Wow, I wonder if I could, like people, it just, I don't know, gives them something to think about because they just don't see it often. We are in no shave November. Mm. What deodorant do you use? Oh my God, what do I use? I use so many though. And the thing is, I even if I like a deodorant, I tend to switch it up anyway. The same way that I just do with like shampoo or anything. I just I feel I don't this could be a myth. Please don't take this as fact. I'm no scientist, but I feel like your body may get used to something. So I like to just be like skr skr. Like as soon as I feel like my body's getting used to something, I switch it up and you just keep it interesting. I've tried Schmitz before. Schmitz is pretty decent for me. I've tried like rock crystal deodorant um didn't really like that that much I also don't like sprays but I cannot think of the brands that I am using right now I, I think I got it from Whole Foods I'm sure it's also in like other grocery stores but yeah I don't know but they don't all it's not like a blanket thing like if I was like I love this one Every person that has underarm hair is not going to love it, which is what I realized. I was listening to other people's recommendations at first. Oh my God, I love this brand. I love Old Spice. I love this. And I would try it and realize, oh, well, I have different hormones than them. I have different hair than them. Like my body's going to react differently to this thing. So my suggestion, if you're looking for one, is to try three different ones, but you at least have to give them like two to three weeks each because your body, especially if you're going from a deodorant that has aluminum in it to deodorant that does not have aluminum in it, which like your choice, whichever one you're going to use, then your body definitely has to like get used to this new like formula, whatever you're using and give it time, give it time. But in different times of your life too, I think you're going to need different things. Like, I don't know, maybe you're stressed a lot. Maybe you sweat a lot. Maybe it's 
cold now and you don't sweat as much. I think different, different deodorants, different seasons. And I'd be like, ooh, that's a new scent. Let me try this new one. So deodorant is fun to me, to be honest. It's really fun. Yeah, and then and you're like, you know what? Actually, I want to feel what my skin feels like without this hair. So let me do that real quick and grow it back out. Like it's, it's dope. Like do what you want to do and try new things. Yeah, so maybe struggling with people that they love paying for. Love the body hair conversation because I yeah. senior year yeah, of high sure. school is when I was like, I guess I'm I want to say first shave again, and like obviously I've shaved since so. then, but I feel like I don't know, that, like not that's, wanting that's to shave ever, and then being like, mm, and I don't have to. Or in-person services with sex workers are like something that's a part of your relationship or not. Honestly, I think that's a conversation that should be brought up in the beginning of the relationship exactly. because maybe y'all have very different ideas. So earlier, about what's you had made a comment about getting so people that to off, but pay for porn okay, what's, and what's a, the kind of struggle that goes that along like, with just in general models. paying for sets. If you and you we have had somebody reach out to us and talk about maybe how like you their and partner has paid for sets in the past, and it's something that they kind of grapple with. And they, in their wording, like they were very much trying not do to not be horophobic about the situation. Do not watch like, this episode. I just want to learn like, how to accept it. Do you have any advice for anybody else who might be struggling with something like that? While your partner is gone, you still want some entertainment or you still want some form of escapism or, you know, maybe some, yeah, I like the romantic partners paying shows. for sex. So you watch a show different than the one that you watch with your partner and you watch it alone because you still deserve to have fun by yourself. You still deserve to watch good TV, even when your partner is not there. So you save what you created with your partner for when they come back. But while they're gone, or even while they're there, you still get to watch your own show. That's kind of how I think about sex and like sexual services, is that you and your partner have whatever type of sexual relationship that y'all have built and like continue to create throughout the relationship. But that does not mean that you're not allowed to have your own sexual relationship with yourself. In-person services with people while you're in a relationship, I think that's a boundary definitely to, to, be, to be talked about because that may go against some people's like monogamous boundaries, but everyone is allowed to have their own sexual relationships that are just with them or with them and an erotic laborer or like of their choice to watch or to see or whatever it is. I think it should be talked about to a certain extent, but also like never let your partner dictate what you can and cannot watch on your own time. Like you're still your own person in a relationship. And so, I mean, if I'm thinking specifically about that person that asked that question, who's like, you know, grappling with their partner in the past, having paid for sexual services is first of all, if that's not currently happening, if that was strictly in the past, then People have passed the same way that people have dated people before you. And I think that only informs your relationship in a positive way because they either loved that relationship and really grew a lot or it was a shitty relationship and they learned how to be a different partner, or how to be a better person. And everything that happens before you get to what's currently happening shapes who you are. So, you know, your partner's going to have a past and maybe that includes these erotic services or these sexual services but to me there's nothing wrong with for example fantasizing while you're masturbating like maybe that's I don't even like to think about it as like help or assistance but I'm going to use that word just for right now like maybe you just need some help to get off like that's totally cool and that doesn't mean that when you're having sex with your partner that like like that's its, its own separate thing like they're two different things so if we mean you and your partner are having sex 
that is its own thing. And then when you're not having sex with that person, if your partner wants to think about other things, if your partner has had sex with other people and paid for it or watched other people had sex and paid for it, like that's, that's their own time. That is their own thing. And it's a little limiting in my opinion to only believe that just one person is going to turn you on and just one person is going to be attractive. Just one person is going to get you off. Like, I mean, to be honest, even like having sex with partners or just, you know, intimate people in my life, I still sometimes think about other things, other situations, other settings, other people while having sex, as I'm sure they do. It doesn't mean that you're not having sex with the person that you're currently having sex with. I, ju- I just think there's a lot of things that are sexual in life to us. And I I wish that people would do some work on their own or with important people in their lives and just open that up a little bit. And I, I say that with like a disclaimer because I do know like some monogamous people have really like tight boundaries. And so I'm not pushing people to be anything other than that. But just know that like sex is everywhere to be honest like there are eco-sexual people who really fuck with plants and really fuck with that grass and the grass turns them on or like helps them be sexual like there's a lot of things in life that can be sexual in nature or sensual in nature or like make us feel like safe and comfortable and you know there's just I, I don't know if that was like really out there to answer that question but I hear you and also like and I feel you if that makes you feel uncomfortable or I don't know whatever whatever emotion that is that's a valid thing and then I would push you a little further to be like okay and like how can we how can we work with that because that's I don't think that's I don't think that's going anywhere people are going to continue to think other people are attractive and watch porn or read erotica that's just a part of a lot of people's lives So this kind of just popped into my head as you were talking, um, because I feel like disproportionately women are the ones that are more worried about their male partners consuming porn or paying for sex in any medium. Do you think it's because women are brought up to kind of live in the male gaze and fulfill this male fantasy? And so when they aren't the only object mm. of their partner's affection. They're kind of like, well, what am yeah, I then? That, that part right there. And also, I mean, if we're speaking about, if we're speaking about this in like binary terms of like a woman, and then if we're also speaking about heterosexual relationships, which is, these things come up in queer relationships too, but I definitely understand what you're saying. That there is like something to the dynamic of if there are two partners and one of them is a woman and one of them is a man, like there's definitely specific types of expectations there. And there's specific types of pressures there that like this woman identified person would potentially experience. I think that's because there is learned behavior of competition between like femme people. So if other like femme people are grabbing his attention, like whether it's in real life, like just like on the street, at work, or if it's grabbing his attention as in like online, watching porn or whatever it may be, then it traditionally feels like, oh, I'm not satisfying my partner then. Like if he's thinking about other people, if he is turned on by other people or situations outside of me, then I'm not doing my job in this relationship. I'm supposed to bring all of that. I'm supposed to keep that flame there and keep like the light shining on me. Like I am a thing that is like sexual and that's it. So I think there's a lot of competition between like femme people. Like I got to be the best thing in the room. I have to be the sexiest thing in the room. I have to be the most captivating thing to my partner and keep that attention all the time, which damn, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of work. If you feel like you're supposed to keep your partner's undivided attention all of the time in all scenarios and like put that responsibility on you, Man, that's a big weight to carry. First of all, attraction is not just you, like it's the other person. So I would also be like, you know, it's not just on you to keep someone's attention or attraction, like they also have to do work as well. So I think it's the competition factor. And then a lot of what you said, just traditional expectations of like women in heterosexual relationships or relationships that have that dynamic. It's just, it's very unrealistic. 
Um, and I think it's very unfair, like the weight of that. I don't think that men carry that same weight and that same anxiety of like, oh my God, I have to be the only thing that she thinks about. I have to be the only thing that makes her feel sexual. And I don't know, like that comes from, you know, just the learned gender roles and learned gender behaviors and expressions that like women and femme people have to endure, which is fucked up. But man, that's a lot of pressure. And I'm thinking about it because I haven't been in that type of relationship in a long time, but I remember how that felt. Like I definitely felt like that often where I was like, oh, like I feel like him straying, like let me do more because it's my job to blah, blah, blah. And man, wow. No, <laughs> no to that. Just, just a big no to that. Yeah, I feel like that's something a lot of people have to unlearn as they get older and get into more serious relationships if their ultimate goal is marriage is like, well, don't want to live like this forever. Yeah. That would suck. Like, man, that would be a lot of years to have to keep up with that and to just continue to expect yourself to always be doing something as if you're not a person with other wants and needs and a life. And also like you're not going to change and your partner is not going to change. I mean, that's, yeah, that's an expectation that I really hope continues to be shed away as people, as people just learn more, read more, have more access to different types of like knowledge through the internet, things like that. Absolutely. Well, we are coming up to time, but this was such that. an insightful and interview. Ask, I, really, I really appreciate the questions that you asked and like where you take the conversation and, you know, also being present and being like, oh, maybe we want to talk about this thing, but actually now I'm thinking about this or now I've been reminded of this. That's why I absolutely adore podcasts and I'm so glad that they have like the recognition and the light that, you know, they are right now. Like podcasts are the shit. Oh yeah. Agreed. <laughs> So if our listeners want to find you, where can they look? Yes, uh, you should find me on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Twitter is Alexis Femme and Insta Instagram is Alexis Femme 6 because somebody already took my name. I was like, oh, how rude, disrespectful, put that 6 <laughs> um, So that's where you can find me for the free, but I always love tips and you can find my cash app and all that other information in the bio. But like, if you're interested in other, in other, I don't know, vulnerable ways of like having relations with me, then you can find me on OnlyFans slash Alexis Femme, the tall, hairy witch, which damn did not even understand that like hair was such a fetish and kink the way that it is when I started. But you know, here we are. Here we are. Uh, yeah. The sex work world really enlightens you on so many things. <laughs> It really does. It really does. Well, if you want to find Alexis's episode when it comes out, you can check Spotify or Apple Podcasts, but you should go to our website, candygirlpodcast.com. You'll find all of our old episodes, plus our social media and anything else that you might need from our podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will hear from you next Friday. Fuck me, daddy. <laughs>